Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome in, everybody. Believe in Patriots podcast. This is episode number 12. It's a special episode, an episode I wasn't planning on doing, but we had to break the streak of guests named Eric. We had Eric Wood, former Bills center, earlier in the week. We had Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus. It's game week, so we bring out a third guest. And it's going to be somebody that you all know and love in Patriots country. First off, though, you can follow me on Twitter at FA Radio Brady. And the podcast is always brought to you by Bet Online. It's the only place to get your NFL bets in heading into week one. As we tape this on Friday, a couple days left to get them in. It was nice to have the gambling people back on my social media uh, presences yesterday because all of you were rooting for the Texans and Chiefs to hit the over 53. They did. So there you go. Everybody was happy. Well, half my timeline was happy. So betonline.ag, the only place to get your bets in. And now I want to go out to our guest. He played for the Patriots twice. He uh, is the CFL Hall of Famer. He's a Heisman Trophy winner. Many years in the league and a lot of experiences getting ready for week one. It's Doug Flutie. Doug, thank you for being with us. How are you? Doing great. Thanks. Fun to be with you. Well, I well, I appreciate you joining me. It was nice to have football back yesterday between the Texans and the Chiefs. How does Doug Flutie watch football? What's your setup like? Um, I'm just basically watching in the living room like normal. But uh, <laughs> the the real setup or the real different thing for me now is the way I watch games. Yeah. I don't just sit and enjoy and watch and look at the big hits and the plays. And it's it's what's the front what's the coverage why did he go there he's he didn't set his feet he's moving the he took an extra the i the thing i enjoyed most out of the entire game the other day was the last touchdown pass for mahomes that he never set his feet he drifted yeah. to the right he created an angle for the throw and he throws the ball sidearm and puts it in a spot if he stayed in the pocket he never could have completed that pass and those are that's the way i watch a game these are the kind of things now we see in football where the coaches, as you're growing up, will tell you, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Okay, go ahead and do that when it works out for you. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, I wish I played in this year where there was so much, <clears throat> so much more open to that stuff and just get the job done. And we were like precise drops. Three-step drop was like, uh, you're taking a little too long of a step on your second step. Get your feet under you on your fifth. Get your feet under you, you know. That's the stuff that drove me nuts. It, so I love watching it now, especially Mahomes. It feels very formulaic what you're talking about, where everything was a formula that had to be adhered to, and now much more ad lib. Yeah, well, part of that plays into all the zone read stuff. The athlete, number one, is the athletes at quarterback, which open up the offense to do so much more and uh, put the defense on their heels. So a lot of times he's just reacting to things. And then uh, the extending of plays has become just such a big part of, I was doing a uh, podcast, Matt Schaub and I do a podcast together. He came out with the stat of, it was a ridiculously high percentage of the touchdowns in the red zone. Yeah are non-scheduled plays where the quarterback's extending a play and it's off a scramble or it's off an extended play. And, uh, you know, that just makes perfect sense to me. As I ask you what your football watching setup is, I was going to ask you what's the coolest thing in your man cave, but I see the 1984 Heisman <laughs> Trophy behind you, so I'm going to guess that that's the answer. Yeah, well, that's pretty cool for the, quote, man cave, because this is, this is the area I got all my memorabilia and, like, jerseys, helmets, and awards and things like that. And, some nice pictures, but uh, there's a cooler. Maybe I'll show you by the end. 
there's a cooler cave right around the corner. Are you a collector of memorabilia or is this stuff just your own? 90% of it was mine. Um, I am not what I would call a collector, but I've had opportunities over the years. Um, I've, I've got a uh, Dream Team basketball mm -hmm. autograph. I got a Larry Bird, some Larry, my wife, big Larry Bird fan. So we have some Larry Bird stuff. And then a few odds and ends of Hall of Famer type guys that, uh, well, Elway and I, Elway's last game was after the Super Bowl, after winning the Super Bowl, was a Pro Bowl. Yep. And I would get Pro Bowl with him and, and swapped helmets. So I have an autographed Elway yeah. helmet from that game and uh, a few other odds and ends. But I, I never considered myself a collector. So you're doing the podcast with Matt Schaub where you talk about the NFL as a whole. You have done Notre Dame football broadcasting. Besides the broadcasting aspect, what have you been up to since your playing career ended 15 years ago? Trying to be a kid. <laughs> Trying to continue to just do the things I enjoy. I've, I've moved to Florida, so I live at the beach, so I've learned to surf. And that's kind of my number one passion. Like, wow. the, you know, every morning wanting to get out there, play with the sharks. You know, I've had like 10-foot hammerhead swim right by me. I had a 7-foot uh, tiger shark go under my board once. I've seen small sharks on a daily basis. Um, but I still play adult league baseball with my brothers. Wow. Um, shoot, I even jumped. I, I have a buddy that is a Canadian that lives right across that is uh, my age that was a minor league hockey player. And he plays in hockey leagues. He taught me into putting pads back when I'm back in goal playing <laughs> hockey. Well, I am in I am in Burlington, Vermont. So if you want a summer in Vermont, you could play on my men's league baseball team. There we go. I got a buddy up in Laconia, New Hampshire, who owns a minor league team. So I'll just go oh. to the Northeast and swing around, and do the circuit. Now, is that the uh, New Hampshire Fisher Cats? Do I have the right team? He is in Winnipesaukee. Uh, okay, Muskrats. Okay. Well, if you, like I said, if you want to come to Vermont, you can. We'll, we'll get you in for a game. Even we'll just get I you love in for it. a game. Throw jersey on, take a few swings. <laughs> Now, I also know you're heavily involved in your own foundation, the Doug Flutie Foundation. And I've talked with Patriots bo uh, broadcaster Bob Sosi a lot about his work battling autism and understanding autism, who's done a lot of work for your foundation. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, basically, we started our foundation when Dougie was diagnosed um, to be a New England area foundation we're gonna put money towards research and maybe help help some new England area families well it all timed out with me becoming the starting quarterback the Flutie Flakes release and all that we became more national um over the years we've realized that we weren't making a big difference in the research end of it we didn't have that kind of money coming in so we have primarily focused on families uh, provide services whether it's at home or schooling start up new schools start up camps uh computers toys things for the kids at home to learn uh, touchscreen stuff, uh, all that, everything became, what can we do to take some of the pressure off the of parents for disadvantaged families that can't afford to, it gets very expensive. Number one for schooling, number two for the, the materials these kids need. You know, so I had Bob Sosi on an earlier podcast. I've talked to him a bunch over the years. He was training hard for the Boston Marathon, but unfortunately it got canceled. You once ran the marathon in like five hours and 23 minutes. Would Bob Sosi have beaten your time? I don't know what Bob runs it in. That was the first the first year I did it. I was at the uh, uh, the charity runners party on a Friday yeah. night. No, Friday or Saturday night. And my buddy had been working me in my ear. He's like, dude, you know, you've 
You've played doubleheaders in baseball. You've played four or five hours of basketball. <laughs> All it is is moving forward for five hours. You can do this. I've never run over three miles, never run over five miles, I'd say. And I'm like, if you think I can do it, I'll do it. And I talked, I ended up getting a number and just lined up and went. Uh, since then, I, I think I broke I broke the five hour mark a couple of times, but I just run with the, the my biggest issue. My biggest issue is I can't really train the way you need to train to run a marathon because my knees are so bad. Yeah. But that gets very frustrating because <laughs> I'm so competitive. And my buddy that's next to me, like he he's unbelievable. And he's been great with our foundation. His name's Al Seymour. Al and I have been friends since we were kids. And Al's run qualifying marathons. He just decided to run for our charity one year and ran a qualifier. Like he <laughs> ran a three hour and 20 something minute because he's all in. He's, he's Sheldon Cooper. Whatever it is, he's all in. So he like has been with my sidekick, you know, nursed me through the marathon. He goes, run each mile, take a break at the water station. We'll go to the next mile. You can run, you know, you can do that 26 times. And that's how he got me through it. I was going to ask you, do you stop or did you actually keep moving? Even at slower speeds, did you actually keep moving for the full five hours? Oh, kept moving. No doubt. Um, but Al was big on not allowing me to get my heart rate. Good. Like I, I'm used to running three miles, five miles and trying to run sub eight minute miles and be yeah. on a pace, you know, he's like, don't worry about the pace. Just keep moving forward. Um, and actually he made me sign like a hundred uh, trading cards. Oh, wow. So that when we went through Boston college, I could pass it. Like, mm. Stuff to keep oh, my cool. mind off the fact that I'm actually running 26 miles, whatever it was. Um, but I did walk the water stations like 10 seconds or so, make sure the heart rate come back down and then run another mile. Wow. So uh, it was it was a great strategy that that he said is how you be get beginners to run a marathon. And then after that, I, the, my last couple of times, I actually just basically slow jogged it. But yeah, but ran it. You know, your career resume is extensive. Heisman Trophy winner. You were a Heisman Trophy finalist the year before that. CFL Hall of Famer, NFL Pro Bowler, Comeback Player of the Year. If somebody asks you what part of your career you identify with most, what would your answer be? It's really, you know, I, I'd say the Buffalo years because they were my most successful um, in the in the late 90s, being in Buffalo, going to the playoffs, back-to-back -back years, a Pro Bowl, those types of things. Um, I think maybe because it meant so much to me to come back, reestablish myself in the NFL and be successful. Um, but I'll tell you what, the Canadian Football League years were so much fun. You know, I'm a New England area guy, so... Everybody in New England's going to think of me as a Patriot. Uh, but my most enjoyable years playing football, besides Boston College, were in Toronto. I had two yeah. years in Toronto. We won two championships and had more fun doing it. Just a great group of guys, a head coach that um, he just knew how to keep his players loose and relaxed. And a guy named Don Matthews was the winningest head coach in CFL history. Um, but uh, it was just it was a fun experience playing up there. You know, I want to get to the Buffalo years because I got some questions about that. But I want to start with with this, too. I'm 30 years old. Right. So my Patriot fandom knowledge usually starts with Bledsoe and then moves to Brady. And, you know, you do research. You, OK, Grogan, Eason. I didn't realize until recently you played for the Patriots in the 80s, 87 to 89. I didn't even realize that. Tell me about your first tour of duty in, uh, in Foxborough. I come to Foxborough and, uh, you know, Eason was a number one draft choice first rounder and Steve Grogan was the old veteran backup. 
Um, I came to New England and they looked at me as an athlete. You know, they had this toy uh, that they, they tried lining me up in the backfield a couple of times. I returned some punts in preseason. I was doing this, doing that, and I would be the third string quarterback. You were Taysom Hill before Taysom Hill. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what ended up happening was uh, Tony Easton had an elbow issue, and I wind up going in. I was the third guy to get a shot. I go in and and bring us back for a big win against the Colts in the fourth quarter. And I become the starter. And then I uh, win basically seven out of 10 games there. And uh, all we had to do is beat Denver in the last uh, regular season game. Denver was like two and 14 that year. Mm-hmm. And uh, he decides to start Tony. And he starts Tony in the last regular season game. Actually, I think he might have started them the week before against Tampa Bay. I'm not sure. But we wind up going out to Denver and lay an egg and get beat. And the most frustrating part of that was that when Tony, I think he, Tony got hurt in the third quarter or struggled. He put Steve Grogan in who hadn't played all year instead of putting me in, because if he puts me in and I do well, and we come back, he looks bad. That was my perception. My perception of it was, well, instead of putting the guy that's been playing all year in there, once Tony got banged up, um, we went with, with Groves and I love, I love Groves. I think the world of them and the toughest guy competitor I've ever played with. Um, but I was very, it was very similar to what happened in Buffalo. He wanted to put a, he wanted Tony to get ready for playoffs and be the guy. And then we never got to the playoffs because we lost in Denver. So what happens in 89? Cause that's 88. You're talking about your six. Mm-hmm. And, you were six and three as a starter team goes nine and seven, you know, gets a winning record. Why are you not given a chance to get the job in 89? It's it's pretty much the same principle of what happened in yeah. Buffalo. What ends up happening is the guy that makes the money is the starter in the yeah. NFL. That's the way it is. I was making 140 grand. Wow. Uh Tony was a million plus a, a first round draft choice. Um I signed a better deal going into the next season. Uh, but if I had finished the season before as the starter, I should be the starter and make starter money, right? Yeah. So they couldn't allow that to happen. Tony went back in, played, even though his arm wasn't what it, it wasn't full tilt. Um, and then uh, we went into the next season, and it's kind of a blur. Uh, geez. Uh, but Tony was a starter. I thought I stayed the next year. I did stay the next yep. year. Yes. Yep. <laughs> okay. You started so, three games. Yeah. Started three games the following year. I, I it's all a blur. Yep. I don't really remember that season. I know that that I really wasn't given an opportunity to be the starter for sure. But when I filled in, we we played well. We won. Um I had uh the the problem was I was looked at as a band-aid. I can go in and make us competitive and run around and do the things I do and complete some I wasn't throwing for a lot of yards. Uh, I had games like I was five for 10, nine of 11, seven for 14. And we'd win these games in low scoring games because we were running the ball well yeah. because of the threat of me running naked bootlegs and doing other things. They have to play you differently. And our running game with John Stevens, who was a rookie of the year at one point, um, really took off. And we, we were a running football team when I was a quarterback. Well, it's crazy. I Again, doing all this research, I found out my great uncle, Rod Humanick, was your offensive coordinator <laughs> in New England, 87 to 89. And, Holy and mackerel. I, I never got to see him in action, but you got to tell me how my uncle Rod was. He's still alive, but how he was yeah. the coach. 
you picture what you would th- see maybe for you guys thinking back to the eighties. Yeah. For me, it's like thinking back old school fifties and sixties coaches, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, Lombardi style of coaching. <laughs> These guys were, it was rough around the edges. I'm sure it was completely socially unacceptable today. What went on back then, the way they coached the hard nose in your face, you know, that was back in the day when you didn't get water breaks during yeah. a double session. You know, you, it was a sign of weakness that you needed to go hydrate, just get it done. We had eight weeks of training camp. We had six preseason games. We had eight weeks of doubles in pads. <laughs> I'm talking to Matt Schaub about this. And I'm like, dude, you, you what? You got a day off? Yeah, we go three days on, one day off. We do that. We have, we only have one practice. We don't go pads with no contact. We, don't, we have one practice. That, I'm like, what? That's training camp? Training camp to us started at 7 a.m. and ended at 11 o'clock at night with two full padded practices. And it was Sunday scrimmage and Sunday afternoon you got off. And, you know, so that that's the style of coaching back then. It was in your face, hard nose. Uh, right up front, you know, be great. The, the, you know, get the most out of your guys. You've got me picturing the scene and remember the Titans where they're practicing. They bring the cars out and just the car lights are what's illuminating the field. That's what you've got me picturing. It was, I mean, we had training camps down at Bryant college when I was with the Patriots in the 80. And Wednesday night was a big deal because they gave, they gave you, uh, they, they would cancel meetings maybe every other Wednesday. So Wednesday night, you could go have dinner with your family. Yeah. Um, and then Sunday afternoon, the family would probably come down for, for the scrimmage and you get Sunday afternoon. It was that's just the way it, that was what training camp was to us. I that just you know, we didn't know any there. We didn't know we were getting beaten into the ground. Your arm was falling <laughs> off going two a days for eight weeks. But that's the way it was. How much perseverance did you need to have in your career? You mentioned not really getting a fair shake in New England. You didn't get a fair shake in Buffalo, which we'll get to. Uh, how much perseverance did you need to have in order to keep your career going as long as it did? I think, well, obviously, um, the drive is what keeps you going and having to just fight through things and adversity. That's that's life. That's every aspect of life. You've got to keep pushing and drive through things. But um, it's what motivated me. People tell now coming out of high school, I had one division one offer and that was the last second by Boston College. You know, I was really an Ivy League type kid that was going to go play one double A ball somewhere. And people telling me I couldn't do things or that I shouldn't be able to do them or kept you driven. You need every athlete needs something that motivates them on a daily basis to want to get better, to keep an edge every day, to get up earlier than the other guy, to run harder, to go farther, to do the conditioning. And that's the stuff that kept me driven was everybody telling, because deep down I felt, I felt I was more athletic than most of the guys I was around that my arm was plenty strong enough. And I was a smart guy that could do, you know, run offenses and, there was no reason. I, the, 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 the bright light went off when I went to Boston College. Everyone had told me you weren't a Division I quarterback. Number one, you were too small. Um, actually, the Penn State guys thought I was afraid to get hit when <laughs> wow. they watched film because I avoided hits. But mm. you want to stand there. <laughs> um, but the light went off when we went to Penn State. I came off the bench in the fourth quarter of a game, and I threw for like 150 yards in the fourth quarter and, and had a really, you know, felt comfortable. And it was like, you know what? It's the same game I've always played. It's no different. And it's the same way when I stepped on the field in the NFL, it's like all of a sudden, you know what, all this stuff that I've been told, it's by people that have 
have never been on the field. And to me, it was just the same game that I've always played. And that's when I realized I gotta, I gotta know what's going on up here. That that I know inside that I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it, and I'm gonna be successful at this. As we transition to the Patriots specifically for Week One, your situation is different, but not wholly different from Cam Newton, right? Discarded by one organization, going to another organization. As you go to that new organization. What's on your mind? Are you trying to prove your old organization wrong? Are you trying to prove your new organization right? What, what, what's going through your mind? A little of everything. A yeah. little of everything. I think that the drive to show the old organization they're wrong is even stronger. It mm. really, you know, it, it, and Cam, a, he, amazing athlete. I stood yeah. next to him at the national championship game and he was like just the ball, the rotation on the ball coming out of his hand, he's just flicking his wrist and sending it 65 <laughs> yards without an effort. Yeah. Like I've never seen the ball come out of a guy's hand so naturally. Um, but, you know, it's never quite happened. He made it to a Super Bowl. He's had real close. Um, that, that, that motive, don't give great athletes a reason to be motivated. I tell you, yeah. it's, just, you know, it's like when Tom Brady was suspended for the first four games. Yeah. It's like, don't give Tom a reason to be great, you know? And that's what I'm looking at with Cam. They gave him a reason to have that edge, like I was talking about, on a daily basis to be better and to do everything possible. There's a, there's, when you have some success or you're comfortable as a team starter and you're the guy, there's, there's times where you have a little lull. Maybe the, the intensity isn't quite there some weeks or whatever. But when when you have a situation like this where Cam has been doubted by an organization and he's a guy that's a phenomenal talent and you've heard the way Belichick's talked about his work yeah. ethic. I mean, I don't know that that's different than what it was in Carolina, but there's a reason for it there's, there, that he's motivated. There's no doubt in my mind he's motivated and don't give great athletes a reason to be great. How long does it take to get a new system? Because everybody's worried. Oh, no preseason, not signed late in the offseason. How long does it take him to get used to McDaniel's playbook? That's real. That there's okay. it's like learning a new language. It's a real thing. Um, in fact, when you first come over to another team, you know, you have a lot of the same plays, but they're called something completely different. And you flash back in your head, okay, this is like that. And I, yeah, there's a there's a even a fraction of a second of a delay at the line of scrimmage can cause a delay game. Yeah. Uncertainly, you know, an uncertainty of pass protection of, am I protected? Am I not? How do I, what's the word we use for this? And he has to, I mean, it would have been nice to have a full off season. It would have been really nice to have preseason games. That, that stuff's an advantage that there's, there's no doubt that the, it's like a language barrier that has to be broken down that Tom Brady over so many seasons with the Patriots just keeps building on what is already instinctive and adding to it and adding to it and adding to it. So the, the pure, the, the catalog becomes so big that he sees anything instantaneously. He's going to go to something he's done before. That's not going to happen with cam. Cam's going to be very dependent on play calling. He's going to get to the line of scrimmage and do the check with me thing and get him in the right plays. But Josh may not be able to, in mid-game say, hey, look, they're playing this coverage. Let's go back to what we did against San Diego three years ago. We ran this, remember? Yeah, da, da, yeah. Da. That that type of stuff is not going to happen. But I'll tell you, I that that's the only thing holding them back, if anything. And early on, it should get better and better week by week. But like I said, I, I'm, I'm really curious to see how good Cam Newton can be. There's been a 
to talk about Cam's relationship with Belichick and Brady's old relationship with Belichick. I want to ask you this. How much does the quarterback's relationship with the head coach even matter? Like, how much during the week are you really talking with the head coach versus your positional coach versus your coordinator? Usually very little. Very okay. little. You know, you don't you, – you, I mean, head coach is usually – Big picture stuff early in the week. Talk about concepts. Talk about uh, approach the game. Look, we were banged up at receiver. We need to hammer the football this week. We're going to emphasize this. We're going to emphasize that. Uh, these guys aren't. You know, we can we can blow by these guys. We're going to throw the ball. We're going to air it out. Whatever the concepts are, um, and then a good rapport on game day. But uh, the nuts and bolts of it are you and the coordinator of coming yeah. up and, and the relationship that Tom had with Josh. Uh, they were on the same wavelength all the time because they've spent so much time together. They watch film together. They game plan together. They put the plays for third down for two minute for short yard for red zone, whatever that is. You know, that's the communication that goes on majority of the time. Now, Bill is privy to all this yeah. and will know it all. And and Bill, Bill knows it and just he'll indicate what direction to go to Josh or what direction to go to Tom. And then they do the specifics of it. You come back to the Patriots in 05, finish up your career in New England. How was Bill Belichick to you? He's an appreciator of history. Was he great to you? I'm guessing he was great to you because he, of all you had accomplished. He really was. I, I kicked myself for that season. I, I probably played one year too long. Okay. Uh, I, my back was getting tight. Uh, I actually had a back surgery after that season that I wish I'd had like three or four years earlier, and maybe I would have kept playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but my back was tight. My left knee was a little beat up. And uh, I just, Bill, Bill was great to me. Bill really was. I brought me in, put me in a position to, to, to be the backup. Um, You know, I basically had the pom-poms out all year long, just cheering for Tommy. (laughs) But, uh, you know, it's, I had known Bill for years before that. I wanted to get to New England so my daughter could finish her high school years at home. It was going to be her senior year. I wanted her the whole senior year at home and all that. And and Bill made it happen. Um, So that was, it was a good relationship. I felt very comfortable talking about, like, I could not imagine being a 22 year old, 20 year old kid coming in as a rookie and being so intimidated. But now Bill intimidated the young guys. And and he intimidated, here's a story. Okay. Bill, Bill's, Bill, like, Gives you the speech on dealing with media and what you said, da 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 da, da and be careful. So one day, I don't know, I don't even remember what the comment was. I was in an interview after a practice, and I said something. I'm like, you know, that could be taken another way. That could be they could flip that on me. So right away, I walked down to Bill's office. He's Bill. I said this. I don't know. They could spin it the other way. It's like, Doug, I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about the 20 year old. <laughs> yeah, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I was on the sideline one day at Pittsburgh, and Tommy throws the completion down the field. And I'm like watching it, and all of a sudden, the referee running down the sideline bumps into me and reaches for his flag, hmm. right? And he he sees it's me. He sees what happened. It doesn't throw the flag. Puts it in his pocket. Watches what happened. Da da da. And he he shook his head at me after. And I'm thinking, oh my god, I'm gonna on, on Monday's meeting. I'm gonna walk in, and Bill's gonna say, Doug. I, I'm not letting you on the field, so you can't hurt us there. I got to kick you <laughs> off the sideline. Do I have to? Do, what? Do we, and this, this is going through my mind for 36 hours until finally I get through meetings and all that, and Bill didn't say anything because it was on film, and yeah. you know Bill saw it. 
That's like, it feels to me like back in school when you know you didn't read the chapter and you're just waiting to have every question oh. asked of you by the teacher. <laughs> he comes in on, on uh, Wednesday. Wednesday's your first real day of practice for the work week, right? Yeah. Monday, watch film. Tuesday's a day off. On your day off, you better watch film and prepared and be ready to rock and know your opponent. And he comes in, you know, game plans are passed out. That, that first team meeting Wednesday morning, Bill's grilling guys. Who are you going up against? You know, talk to a corner. Who's the biggest threat downfield? What are what's their favorite third down coverage? What's their wow. this? What you know, bang, bang, bang. And guys, you better know. And he's not, he's one, especially in the NFL, not afraid to put his players on the spot and embarrass a big time guy. You know, we know that Tom Brady isn't great to backups that are coming after his job, right? He was, we know he didn't love Garoppolo. Um, he wasn't real keen on them drafting guys as he got older in his career. What was he like to you? He's earlier in his career and you're a veteran who's not threatening him per se. Right. What was he I, like I, to you? I, he was great. And he still is to this day. Um, yeah. Yeah. Tommy and I've seen, we bump into each other once a year for half a minute somewhere you know but we text once in a while just to you know shoot he wins the super bowl i shoot him a tag he gets back to me right away that night wow. you know it's like uh, tom was great to me um we spent time game planning together watching you know like i said we'll go in and watch third down reels and come up with our third down ideas or red zone ideas and all that and tom always made me feel a part of it even though i knew it's him and Josh and it's Bill and they've won Super Bowls and they got their routine down. And Tommy was always great to me. And, you know, you want as a starting quarterback, and I did this in Canada and, and when I was a starter, you want to make sure that the backup is prepared as well. You know, you know that at any given moment, he's got to be in there and the playoffs could be on the line, the, your Super Bowl, whatever it is, everything's on the line. So you don't, you just, but you do stay competitive. You you stay competitive with every throw. We yeah. throw Tommy and I. To, we'd all be throwing in the net. Um, <laughs> Castle, Matt Castle, yeah. And you know, it's 10, 10 yard, fifteen yard throws into the little windows in the net, and he wants to bet on it and be competitive. About <laughs> it, yeah. So it's just that's that's uh, the nature of a competitor. You had had 20 years of pro experience by the time you played with him. Did he ever come to you for guidance? Were you able to teach him anything? Um. I don't really believe I taught him anything. Uh, I did catch him one time watching film after a practice it was training camp. And uh, I throw the ball almost like a baseball pitcher. I mean, okay. when I throw, I rip it open. I come, I use everything I have. The back leg comes off the ground up over the top. <laughs> and I'm, you know, it's, it's everything I got. Yeah. And Tommy's looking at the, I come in, it was after a practice. And he's watching film of my drops and my throws. And he's like, how the hell can you throw the ball? Like, like he's, he's looking for a window of how can he throw it harder, better, stronger. Yeah. You know, Tommy's belief and his little guru he had for a quarterback coach, he, the more over the top he was, the more accurate he believed he was. And I, I agree with him 100%. Um, I needed – my arm slot's kind of a three-quarter up in yeah. here – and it was the way I threw, but I had a lot of hip and lower body into it. And so the one thing maybe he, he was looking at, and I'm sure he took one look at my throw motion and decided, I can't do that. That's weird. <laughs> Get out of here. Uh, one day he did, uh, we were watching, I believe it was two minute film. And I said to him, geez, you know, they're playing that, that coverage a little too close to the goal line, the corners. 
it was a cover two from the 15 to 20 yard area and they couldn't get to the down the rail throw. I said, you hold that safety at all. You got the down the rail throw. And that's all I said. Yeah. And then uh, in the game, sure enough, we were in a two minute offense and Tommy's going down, calling his own plays in the middle of two minutes da, 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 around the 18 yard line. Bang. He calls a play to hit the corner then bang right up the side. He came straight to me. He's like, that's your touchdown, wow. which cool. it's like, I didn't teach you anything. You knew that ahead of time, but you, the fact that he remembered that I even mentioned it the other day, the fact that he realized the situation and called the play and then hit the guy was pretty impressive. You know, I feel like it's the lamest Doug Flutie question ever, so I apologize for asking it, but I've been trying to figure out the drop kick rule for like 10 years now. So I know the drop kick, you did it. Belichick let you do it. It's historic. I haven't seen it since. Tell me the rule. What is this play? I don't even understand why it happened. It's basically a field goal. Yeah. And before before field goals, before the holder, in the old days, they never had a holder. The right. ball had to touch the ground and you kick it off the ground. So it was a drop kick. Then they came up with the idea of having a guy hold the ball there and they started you know, being more consistent and everything else. So there's really no reason to do it because it's not like worth extra points. It's much more difficult, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've always messed around doing it because I'm just, a kid, you know, it's like I would go out in pregame. Mike Vanderjack, the whole story is that Mike Vanderjack was a kicker with us in Toronto. Okay. And he and I used to drop kick all the time. And then when I played in Buffalo and he was in Indy, we would go out on the field way before game, like two hours early, and have a little drop kick competition, kicking the ball around and stuff like that. Well, Chris Berman had seen us doing it, knew okay. I could kick it. He went to Belichick. Belichick came to me, and we wind up doing it. So it's just um, a fancy field goal. All, all this is just all, a fancy field goal. Fancy field goal. But here is the one practical application. In Canada, you can kick the ball from beyond the line of scrimmage. So at the end of a half, you could throw the ball down the field. A receiver, my brother did it in the league, caught a pass, run, and punt the ball out of the end zone on the fly to get a single point from okay. the 25, 30 yard line. Right. Yes. If you kick it out of the end zone, single point. if you drop kick that thing on the fly, that's a three pointer. Okay. If you, if you had the time to actually do that, but yeah. I've seen more people punt it through. So the rule used to be, you could do it beyond the line of scrimmage. So I was in the eighties. Uh, we were in a two minute offense and he, uh, Raymond Barry says I was the backup quarterback. So I was going out. He says, okay, last play of the game. You're down by two. Uh, got a, it was a Hail Mary situation, right? We're out near midfield. I go, all right. I said, we're down by two. All right. So I draw this thing in the huddle. I throw the ball to Stanley Morgan. He laterals it back to me. I'm running down the middle of the field and I drop kick it from 35 yards through the uprights. Wow. Right? And Raymond Barry's looking at me, what the hell was that? You know, and I'm like, no, that's three points. We just won the game. <laughs> and um, so I did a Sports Illustrated article where I talked about all these types of things you could do. Yeah. And next year they changed the rule. You got to be behind the line of scrimmage. <laughs> so now you'd actually have to stay behind the line. So another practical application, if I don't need the holder, can I put the, the guy who would be the holder on the offensive line and get another protector at least, another guy on the line? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You can put them up in there. You can split them out. We split them out as a receiver to make it look like we were running a two-point play. Okay. And make somebody cover down, make them call a coverage, whatever. And I drift back. It was so funny. I like that, that actual play. Okay. The ball comes back to me and I dropped it. Lonnie Paxson's long snapper. Lonnie was 220 pounds. Keith <laughs> trailer, like 320 is on the other side. And there was a timeout and Lonnie comes back. He's like, he's, he's like talking, you know, he's going to 
kick my ass, da, 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 da. I said, look, tell them what we're doing. And uh, back. So there were a lot of conversations going on in the line of scrimmage about, you know, hey, don't rush this. This is going to be cool. The receiver was uh, Bam Childress. I think a, we just signed him off the practice roster and he's having this conversation. He's telling the DB what we're doing. Like, you got to check this out. This is going to be cool. And uh, they, they, he didn't blow up Lonnie. Lonnie snapped the ball and stepped through. He stepped to Zach Thomas. Zach Thomas stepped up and he goes, and Zach sees the ball go. He says, what the hell was that? <laughs> like, That's a drop kick. Hadn't been done in 64 years. Da, da, da. Yeah, it was a lot of those kind of conversations going on because if they rushed it hard, it takes a little time. It would have um, probably been blocked. What's the game situation like where they're letting you do this? Are you? I, I'm trying to remember it off the top of my we head. Down by two, we were down by two touchdowns okay. five minutes ago. Okay. Matt Castle was quarterback. Mac throws a touch. We were on the five-yard line going in. Yeah. And uh, down 14. And I just happened to be standing next to Bill. And Bill sees me, and he's like, we score here. You're kicking it. Now I'm 43 years old. I've been standing <laughs> around for three and a half hours locking <laughs> up. And he didn't even get the sentence out of his mouth, and we were in the end zone. And I'm like, you serious? He said, yeah. And I jog out on the field to go kick it. I make it. We're down by seven. We actually score another touchdown in the last seconds and go for two and don't get it and lose the game. by. It was a meaningless game at the end of the season. Yeah. I'll get you out of here on two quicker questions. Um, one fun one, one more serious one. You mentioned Zach Thomas, great defensive player for the Dolphins. I'm trying to remember who all you would have played. Reggie White, Bruce Smith was your teammate for a while. But what's what's more intimidating, the 10-foot hammerhead or a great pass rusher coming at you? <laughs> Definitely the hammerhead. <laughs> uh, you know, actually, um, it's kind of funny. It's when, when you're playing, yeah. you don't – that stuff doesn't enter your mind. You know, the size and speed of these defensive ends coming at you and all that, and you're on you're just playing football. When I'm not in uniform and I'm standing on the sideline, and you see the speed of the game, the force of the collisions, and the that's the intimidate. Like if I ever when I stand on the sideline for a game, that can be intimidating. That can mess with you a little bit. But in a game situation, you're so locked in and all that. And the more I see the darn sharks out here the more you realize they're chasing other stuff. They're just yeah. kind of there. Accidents happen, but the more you see them, the more you realize they're just kind of, you're in the way and they're just going around you onto something else. Are you going over waves, by the way? Are you like near the shoreline, just kind of bopping around oh, no. like I would be on a paddleboard? Like how into it are you? I'm I'm out there. We we get uh, good sized waves. We get hurricane swells where everybody's sprinting for your boards Hurricane Swell, you'll be out there 250 yards offshore because of the, they're breaking so far out. Um, but I have gone, because we do have a lot of sharks here in Florida, I've gone strictly stand-up. I, I use the stand-up paddle boards. I, I mean, I'm down to about an eight-foot paddle board now. But, um, you know, my, my paddle boards are smaller than a lot of surfboards. Yeah. But at least I'm above the water. The problem with being above the water, it, it's safer but you see everything looking down. If you're just sitting low, you don't see the stuff that swims by. When you're standing up, you see it all. I went paddleboarding for the first time ever in my life just last weekend, ironically enough. And I determined that it's fun, but I felt like I was moving so slow. I'm like, I should just be in a kayak and I could go a lot further, a lot quicker. Yeah, you got a big board. You got a big, uh, I'll call it an aircraft carrier. <laughs> you need something a little more streamlined that you can surf. Start okay. working yourself down the smaller, smaller boards. Okay. And get in the little waves and just paddle into the wave and get a feel for that push. 
And once you get a feel for that, the, now you've got to be able to balance in the chop okay, and, and fight through waves and all that. But once you get the feel for it, you're hooked. And you you know, I, I go on surf trips with my buddies to El Salvador, Costa Rica, you name it. We go all over and, uh, you know, got some beautiful pictures of me and double overhead waves and all that stuff. Well, so Sunday at one o'clock, you're sitting in the Flutie living room with the Heisman Trophy behind you. What's your prediction on Patriots Dolphins? What are you looking for most? Um, I think the Patriots, uh, I think if they can pressure Fitzpatrick, Fitzpatrick is a guy that, uh, well, first of all, what I'm looking for most is to see a different offense with Cam Newton's yes. quarterback and how Definitely. athletic he can be and all that. That's going to just be a different. Awakening for New England. It's just going to be something completely different. Not necessarily better, but completely different and fun. Um, but I think the key is when Ryan Fitzpatrick is on, he's hot. If you can yeah. rattle him a little bit, make him make some air and throw, he'll turn the ball over and it can make life a lot easier for you. Well, I've got 21 17 Patriots. I think low scoring, no fans. Yesterday, watching the game, there were 17,000 fans at the Chiefs game, one of only two stadiums that will have fans. No fans, I think, will make an impact, but I think it'll look more normal than maybe we thought it would. But uh, I think it plays a little bit of an impact. But 21-17, Pats, that's my guess. Okay. You know what? The no fans can allow coaches to be a lot more involved from the sideline and yelling things out yeah. to players and getting them lined up. So if there are any issues with the new offense and Cam – those can be solved because you can just yell stuff out and hear each other just like you do in a practice. So that might benefit early on. Well, Doug Flutie played for the Patriots two tours, uh, decade career in the league, 20 years professional, Heisman Trophy winner, 1984 at Boston College. Doug, we appreciate it, man. Look forward to uh, doing it again. Enjoy week one. Thanks a lot. You too. Have fun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.